This is News Talk on the VOCM Bigland FM radio network. The views and opinions on this program are not necessarily those of this station. And now your News Talk host, Linda Swain. Well, good afternoon, everyone, and good afternoon to you, Claudette Barnes. How are you, to t- how are you today? I'm doing okay, you? Good. You had a productive weekend, I hope? Well, it's funny you should say. Productive, perhaps no, but perhaps the most fun I've had in a long, long time. Ooh, do tell. Well, I feel that the me saying that is going to put a lot of, like, you know... <laughs> You're, the steam is going to go out when I tell you what it was because it's not, you know, a big deal. But a couple of my close friends who we've been friends since we were in diapers, we don't see each other very often. And we had a grown-up sleepover. Oh, my goodness. How fun. Yeah. And craft fairs. And you know a what? restaurant. It was the best. Craft fairs are the best in the fall. St. Kevin's. You swear what it was... Uh, Chase the Ace or something. It was so many <laughs> cards out there. I couldn't believe it. They're it's in the golds. Funny you say Chase the Ace. It only came in my mind the weekend looking up over Shea Heights there when you used to see the traffic coming down <laughs> yes. over the hill at the night. Oh my goodness yeah. gracious. Whatever happened people. to Chase the Ace. Right? Uh, well, that's great. I'm glad to hear it. We were we got busy oh. bringing in all of the things that we brought out like in our basement as a pile of stuff. We take it out in the spring and we put it outside. And then this time of year, we take it all and we bring it back in the basement. So oh, how productive I'm happy for you because so many people are so like the procrastinate and I'm one of those, but you got it done. Yeah. Sort of. No, it's done. It's done. <laughs> okay. Uh, it's just a lot of stuff. And when, yeah. you know, in, in, you know, when in the summertime, it's like, oh, I love having my pots out. And I love having yes. my little chairs out and little places mm-hmm. like that to sit. Just sit. Nothing fancy just place to sit and look <laughs> yeah you know that's my joy <laughs> and uh and then you know it's this time of year is like why do i drag this out every year and why do i have to drag it back yeah i hear you you, you forget about all the you ensuing do. months in between mm-hmm. yeah anyway and i'll forget about it again come <laughs> may or june can't wait to take it all out again when the winter ends <laughs> anyway <laughs> So I'm glad you had a good time, an adult sleepover. That sounds like a hoot. I got to say there was, and there was no, it's so strange. I mean, I've never, you know, I've laughed so hard, but there was no alcohol or anything involved either. Like, I guess, you know, when you're with certain people, you just laugh at the silliest things. Good old-fashioned girls eating. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's great. Oh, I'm envious. (laughs) I never got invited. Oh, no. (laughs) I'm teasing you. I'm teasing you. I was too full of dirt and snow and ice (laughs) um anyway uh i could quote david bowie i'll stick with you baby for a thousand years but we often think about the golden years as a time to relax and enjoy the fruits of our long long labor but that's not the case anymore golden years are the so-called golden years are tough they're really hard especially as the cost of living uh increases apace well a new report from the seniors advocate highlights the cost of living challenge faced by seniors in the province. Susan Walsh heard from some 1,400 seniors while collecting information for her What Golden Years report, with 32% reporting that they were unable to afford food, rent, medications, and medical services. Some told her they were sometimes, that they sometimes exist on toast and tea. Walsh addressed reporters today on the report. Here's what she had to say. 
When I released the findings, I noted that 32% of seniors told us they did not have enough income to meet their needs. When you consider that only 14% of those seniors received the guaranteed income supplement, which is the lowest income seniors in this province, this means there's a group of seniors with above the GIS cutoff, which is 21000 a little over $21,000 a year, that are struggling. Further, because of the high survey response rates, uh, it provided a very clear picture of the concerns of seniors throughout this province. The main reasons given for struggling financially were increased cost of living, insufficient provincial and federal benefits, and insufficient pension income. Of the 32% of seniors who did not have enough income for their needs, 40% noted not being able to afford food or eat healthy food. 60% said they went without food. 57% said they couldn't purchase needed medical supplies and devices. And 60% of those seniors said they did not attend social events. As a result, I frequently hear this question from seniors when I'm out throughout the province meeting with seniors. What golden year, Susan? So today, I'm releasing a recommendation report titled Just That, What Golden Years. The report focuses on the financial needs of seniors and addresses the financial impediments to seniors accessing needed supports and services. The hope is to alleviate some financial stress and improve quality of life for seniors. However, it does not replace the anticipated poverty reduction strategy for seniors. The report focuses on five key areas, insufficient pension income, cost of home support services, cost to access food, cost to access medical care, and cost to prevent illness. So insufficient pension benefits. Many seniors 65 years and older receive the OAS, the Old Age Security, and Guaranteed Income Supplement, GIS. Both are federal benefits. Newfoundland and Labrador has a refundable tax credit called the NL Seniors Benefit, which is meant to supplement the OAS and GIS for eligible seniors in the province. While the provincial government has increased this benefit by 10% in 22-23 and 5% in 23-24, both increases only equate to approximately $200 a year for those receiving the maximum amount. This is because the benefit had not increased since 2016. It did not keep pace with inflation. To be eligible for the full benefit amount of 1516 per year, the net family income must be below 29402 Anyone between 29402 and, 20, and 42403 are still eligible for some portion of the benefit, but it reduces at a rate of 11.66%. So today, I am recommending that the Department of Finance annually index the NL Seniors Benefit and review both the current maximum net family income threshold of 29402 to receive the full benefit and the current phase-out rate of 11.66, and that the results of those reviews be released publicly. The goal here is to have the NL Seniors Benefit keep pace with inflation and increase eligibility for seniors above the 29,000 cutoff. I'm also recommending government ensure that the thresholds for all provincial benefit programs and services are adjusted to ensure that any increase in federal pension programs are realized by the seniors and not lost through a clawback process in the province.
In addition to putting money in the pockets of seniors, another way to assist seniors with the high cost of living is to address their costs. To that end, a focus on home support services. Seniors have expressed an inability to afford the client contribution they pay towards their home support services. This is causing some seniors to go without the service and in some cases forcing them to go into personal care homes and long-term care homes earlier than is necessary. In six provinces and territories in this country, they do not have, seniors do not have to pay for their home support. NL, our province, is not one of those. In our province, individuals who do not have employment income are assessed at a rate of 18% of their income. Given that the provincial government has already determined that seniors with a net family income of 29402 have a low enough income to receive the maximum seniors benefit rate, and you, they continue on to receive some portion of the benefit up to 42402 then this should be considered in assessing for home support. My, so my recommendation is exempt seniors in receipt of the GIS who require home support from financial assessment. They would automatically be financially eligible. Similarly, households with family net incomes of less than 29402 would automatically be financially eligible if they require home support services. And that the financial eligibility policies related to seniors whose net family income is above the 29402 be reviewed to reduce the, the current rate of up to 18% also be reviewed to reduce the large income ranges, which right now range up to $150,000. I do wish to note that seniors expressed many other concerns with the home support program, which are outlined in my report. Access to home support was significant. The quality, the training requirements, and oversight were all raised to me throughout the consultation process and continuing to be raised even as recent as last week when I was on the West Coast. I understand that the Department of Health and Community Services is developing new home care agency standards and a service level agreement. We will be monitoring the for the increased quality of service that is anticipated to be uh, to come as a result of those changes. My office has a legislative responsibility to report on systemic issues impacting seniors and make recommendations for positive change. This report is intended to do just that, make positive change for seniors who are financially struggling. However, I do wish to be clear. The recommendations outlined in the Golden Years report are intended to be a starting point to provide some financial relief while we await the provincial government's poverty reduction strategy for seniors. So that's some of what Susan Walsh had to say today. And I have to say, it, it seems to have struck a nerve with an awful lot of Newfoundlanders and Labradorians, even among those who aren't seniors, but who have seniors in their lives. Um, and um, we've been getting feedback already throughout the course of the day from people who say, you know, um, uh, many of the recommendations make a whole lot of sense. I'd like to hear uh, if you have anything to say on it, you're welcome to give us a call. Well, come up, coming up, sorry, Newfoundland and Labrador has some of the highest diabetes rates in the country. This is World Diabetes Day. We'll speak with an MMA competitor and type 1 diabetic known as the Diabetic Fighter when we come back. This is News Talk on VOCM. Saturday morning, join us for the Irish Newfoundland Show. Send your request to irishnl at vocm.com or submit them online at vocm.com. 
Well, this is World Diabetes Day. Diabetes advocate and nutrition coach Sean Wicks is from St. John's, but he trains and competes in mixed martial arts in British Columbia. He was diagnosed with a rare form of type 1 diabetes and has turned his life to advocacy while living healthily. Uh, he's known as the diabetic diabetic fighter. Sorry, I caught up with him in Vancouver. Hello, Sean. How you doing, Linda Sweeney? Good, good. So uh, you are a nutrition coach and a diabetes advocate, originally from Newfoundland, of course. We're talking from Vancouver. But um, this is Diabetes Awareness Month. Um, what are some important things for people living with diabetes? Because we all know what the stats are here in Newfoundland and Labrador. We have some of the highest rates in the country. Um, what, what are some you know, tips for people living with diabetes? Yeah, I mean, uh, I'm a type 1 diabetic, so, you know, less than 10% of diabetics are, are type 1. So type 2 is is definitely the, the biggest epidemic that we have in Canada and, and definitely in Newfoundland. But I, I think one of the most important things that people need to understand is that they can control their blood sugar with their nutrition. You know, we, we've kind of all grown up to be um, addicted consumers, you know, it, it's nobody's fault. You know, uh, our nutrition is, is definitely pushed upon us from an early age uh, and contains a lot of, of, you know, refined carbohydrates and, and processed sugars. Um, but I think it's very important for people to know that they can control their blood sugar and, uh, you know, the length and longevity of their life with the foods that they eat. So how can we do that? Because you say, we, you know, we have these, our nutrition pushed upon us. And uh, I have to be honest, I, I've tried myself to make um, sensible choices. It's not always affordable. It's not always easy. No, I agree. You know, one of the things that we need to understand is that, you know, our ancestors were, were hunters and gatherers. You know, um, they lived upon healthy fats, animal protein, animal fats, nuts, seeds, vegetables, um, and that our bodies can use two different types of, of energy as fuel, you know, one being sugar, which our muscles fire upon, uh, and the other is healthy fats, which our hearts and brains use. Um, you know, the thing that I realized when I was first diagnosed and, and trying to get in control was that after three or four days of, quote unquote, you know, eating clean or eating well, there was some sort of trigger in my life, being hungry, angry, lonely, tired, sad, stressed. Uh, and that would lead me towards a drive through or lead me towards, um, you know, something sugary. But one of the things that I've realized that worked for me personally that I help you know, my clients with is you really have to detox from the sugar and the simple carbohydrates, just like any drug or alcohol. You know, it, it works the same on the brain as it affects serotonin and dopamine. So the same as any other feel-good substance. Uh, and the only way to really get past it is to totally eliminate it for, for at least a week, uh, which is easier said than done. But, uh, you know, making choices using healthy fats, uh, eggs, avocados, nuts, cheese, healthy sources of protein, you know, lean cuts of meat, turkey, chicken, fish, which is a good one for Newfoundland, codfish, any white fish is fantastic. But that's really the way you have to do it and, and think about um, what you're putting in your body. Is it helping or, or hindering? 
You referenced that uh, drive-through compulsion. Uh, What kind of psychological barriers are there? I mean, when somebody is, let's for instance say, uh, diagnosed with type 2 diabetes, uh, their first thought might be, oh my goodness, I'll never get to enjoy any of these things again. Right. Uh, that's a really good point. You know, the, the psychological barriers are strong because food is, is many things. Food is, you know, family, celebration, uh, culture. Uh, it's emotional, you know. Uh, it, it's comfort. comfort. Yeah, absolutely. And, and all of those things are, are extremely valid. Um, so, you know, in my personal life, as well as working with clients, uh, I do what's called an earned meal. So I don't believe in cheat meals or cheat days. So after six straight days of, of eating clean and, and you know eating frequently, that's one of the important things as well. You know, every couple couple of hours, two or three hours. Um, but after six days of doing that, I'll take a three-hour window, not a full day, uh, and I'll plan for an earned meal, which allows me three hours to eat and drink whatever the heck I want. Uh, and the thing with doing it that way is there's no guilt and shame. You know, we have to think of this in terms of, of addiction almost. You know, the addiction cycle is, is guilt, shame, you know, using, um, guilt, shame, <laughs> and then using, right? So I think if people allow themselves a certain time and plan for it, not fall off the wagon and then call it an earned meal, but say, hey, you know, Saturday night I'm going to get a pizza. Or, you know, Friday night I'm going to go for fish and chips and, and plan for it. I think that's really important because, again, all of those things are very valid, you know, celebration, comfort. Um, but what we don't want to do is get into a habit of self-soothing and guilt and shame. You know, there's a lot of stigma around diabetes, especially type 2 diabetes, but it's nobody's fault, right? It, it's nobody's fault. And what about the affordability issue? Because, I mean, I don't know what it's like in the grocery stores in Vancouver, but I know here it's it's shocking. It's it's prohibitive. Um, people are making uh, affordable choices rather than nutritional choices. So how do you get past that? I mean, it's, it's absolutely horrendous right now. You know, out here, I've, I've watched the prices, something I, I watch very closely and have for years. Uh, it, it requires a lot of work, you know, finding what grocery stores, what farm markets, what vendors, um, you know, uh, local farms, places. You might have to drive or, or order from five or six different places to, to end up saving, you know, 50 or $100 a, a week uh, rather than going to one place. But it, but it is possible, you know. Maybe there's times that I lean more on, on fish during the week if that's on sale or, you know, if there's a big club pack of chicken legs or chicken thighs, which are not personally my favorite. You know, I'll I'll buy those and barbecue those and have them in the fridge. It just takes more effort because honestly, in the long run, spending a little bit more on food is, is worth it versus having to make time for, for illness or, or shortening the, the length of time that you have with your friends and family. Food preparation, is there a way to properly prepare food so that uh, you get the best uh, nutritional bang for the buck? Yeah, that's a good question. You know, I I think that as fresh as possible is definitely uh, the way to go. But for me, I always do two meal preps a week. I do one on on, uh, Sunday and one again on Wednesday. So, you know, it might be 
you know, dicing up uh, onions and, and peppers to, to make with my scrambled eggs or my omelets and have those in the fridge ready to go. Um, you know, maybe, like I mentioned, you know, barbecuing or cooking some chicken or fish and have that in the fridge ready to go. Um, I, I think getting fresh or fresh frozen, you know, anytime that you're getting a vegetable, you know, especially in Newfoundland, growing up in Newfoundland, sometimes you'll get lettuce, you'll pick it up and it, it's wilted, it'll fall over, you know. So sometimes getting things, vegetables that are frozen, or flash frozen, they might actually have more nutrition than, than something fresh. And would having a deep freeze help with affordability, you know, getting those things when they're on sale and, and freezing them so that they last a little longer? Absolutely. Absolutely. That's, you know, I, I always tell my clients after Christmas, uh, shrimp rings go on sale. So I always, <laughs> I fill my deep freeze full of shrimp rings and then thaw those out, you know, every week. So I'll have some fresh shrimp. I call it my snacking shrimp. Uh, I'll have some, of course, I throw out the cocktail sauce, which is full of sugar, but I'll have shrimp in my fridge. But for sure, you know, when things are on sale, that's the time to load up and, and fill the deep freeze. Newfoundland and Labrador, you've probably seen some of the headlines, has uh, uh, been trying to tackle this issue. And one of the uh, measures that the government has taken, it's a contentious one. It's a, arguably, um, uh, you know, people have wondered if it's uh, effective or not. But adding this tax to sugar-sweetened drinks, do those kinds of policies help? You know, I, I don't think they do. I think it runs deeper. You know, it's like adding more taxes to cigarettes. People are still going to buy cigarettes. You know, I think what, what's important is um, for proper education. You know, for years we were told that eating fat will, will make you fat. You know, eating healthy fats will, or eating fats will, you know, lead to heart attack and stroke. You know, that's just not the case. Our bodies are genetically designed to use those things. Um, you know, trans fats, of course, like hydrogenated oils, unfortunately, things that are like in margarine, which is a big popular product in Canada, especially Newfoundland, those are the ones to avoid. But I think proper education about, you know, what sugar um, and refined, simple carbohydrates do in the body, that's important. You know, education is very important, but I don't think taxing is going to make a difference. And so what got you into this field? Is it your own experience? It is totally my own experience. You know, I was diagnosed at, at 29 years old with, uh, you know, latent uh, adult onset diabetes uh, type 1. So my pancreas, it's an autoimmune condition. So my pancreas stopped producing insulin. And I was an athlete at the time. I thought I had a good handle on nutrition. But what I realized as moving forward and controlling my own blood sugar was that I was addicted to sugar. And this was holding me back in my life. So uh, I took a year, you know, I uh, laid off my old staff. I had a different uh, business then, I laid off all my staff. It took a year and focused on developing a program uh, based on what I did to get myself uh, off of sugar and in control of my blood sugar. Uh, and then I, I started working with people. I've now worked with people all over the world, Germany, Australia, Italy, um, the U.S. And uh, I, I just love to, to be able to teach people what I did and, and the steps that I took to make it work. Sean Wicks, uh, thank you very much for this. Uh, if people are looking for their own information or ways to improve their diet or their lifestyle in relation to their diabetes diagnosis, uh, how can they do so? 
Yeah, well, I mean, anyone can reach out to me. Um, I'm the Diabetic Fighter or at the Diabetic Fighter on Facebook and Instagram. Uh, website is diabeticfighter.com. But also to just check out, you know, um, nutrition or, or recipes that are more along the line of paleo, which is paleolithic, uh, or keto or ketogenic. But what's really important is just you know, search for, for ways to get more protein, lean proteins and healthy fats into your diet. Sean Wicks, I appreciate your time. Thank you. Thank you so much, Linda. I wish you all the best. And uh, coming up, uh, Heritage NL is getting recognized for its Crafts at Risk project. This is News Talk on VOCM. News time is next. Every Saturday is perfect for a night at the cabin. The Cabin Party with Brian O'Connell. Saturday night starting at 7 p.m. on VOCM. And we are back. Well, a project conducted by Heritage NL highlighting a number of skills and crafts at risk of disappearing forever has been recognized with the Governor General's History Award for Excellence in Community Programming. Heritage NL identified 55 skills and crafts in Newfoundland and Labrador, many of which used to be commonplace, but which are at risk of being lost forever. Some of those were identified as critically endangered, um, as known practitioners age, while one craft is listed as already having become extinct. The list included things like bark tanning, grasswork, millinery, harness making, tinsmithing, and the making of birch brooms. The initial report released in 2021 resulted in a mentor apprenticeship program to allow people with the knowledge to pass their skills down. Executive Director of Heritage NL, Dale Jarvis, joins me now. All right, well, good afternoon, Dale Jarvis. Hello. So uh, the Governor General is going to be bestowing Heritage NL with an award for the Craft at Risk program. Tell us what this is all about. Uh, Yeah, so this is the Governor General's History Award for Excellence in Community Programming, and it's for uh, our Craft at Risk project. I'm sure listeners have heard me go on about this before, but it's a project that we had here at Heritage NL to showcase Newfoundland and Labrador's traditional skills and crafts, everything from boat building and spruce root basket making uh, to letterpress printing and wriggle fence making. uh, and we've gotten the nod from the Governor General that uh, that we're doing good work. So uh, I'm delighted to finally be able to tell people that we've that we've won this award. So this wasn't just about identifying crafts that were at risk because the practitioners and the people that carried that skill with them were were starting to age and there were no people coming forward. But it was also about um, um, you know identifying those risks and then creating this mentorship program. Absolutely. So. I think a big part of this award is about, you know, getting people thinking about Canadian history. And we don't want to have a list of dead things. We want to have people out doing things and making things and learning things from their elders. So part of the Craft at Risk program was to create a mentor apprentice program and to run all kinds of different classes and workshops around traditional skills for for about a two-year period. Um, And it's something that we've been very excited by and the response from the participants has been fantastic. So are there any particular types of uh, crafts or skills that you've been able to resurrect from the brink, so to speak? We've one of the things that we're really concerned about at Heritage NL is just the skills around 
uh, how we deal with old buildings. You know, we, we have a, a lot of heritage properties in the province, and finding people who know how to deal with heritage properties is, is sometimes a challenge. So I, one of the projects that we had was around uh, restoring old windows, uh, and that was a project where we did some workshops. We had a mentor-apprentice program. Our apprentice with that program has gone on, gone on to start his own uh, business. Neil Hammond is making wooden windows now uh, full-time and, and doing window restoration. So there are kind of practical business applications for some of this knowledge that we're very proud to be a part of. So what do you suppose caught the Governor General's eye? I think one of the things that maybe made our project stand out is about how uh, broad a project it was. You know, we had probably a thousand people over a two-year period to take part in the project in one way or another. Uh, and it really did have um, really good buy-in for from the, the, uh, the project participants, the mentors, the apprentices, the community leaders. Uh, and, and I think, you know, it's also just kind of a fun thing. You know, it, it proves that history isn't a boring thing that happened in the past. It's this living, vibrant thing that people can get really excited about in the present. And since that, um, you know, initial list, I think it was 55 crafts, if I'm not mistaken, uh, back in 2000, uh, 2021, have you identified any more crafts since then or, um, you know, any new information come forward? One of the interesting things that we've discovered in, in looking at this is that there's a whole pile of things that we didn't have on that first list. Uh, so we're actually looking at developing uh, a kind of an updated uh, craft at risk list for 2024. And one of the things that we're hoping that we'll be able to show is, okay, maybe on, on the previous list, this particular craft was listed as critically endangered. Maybe we've been able to kind of bump that down a bit. Uh, to, to be just kind of on the endangered list that, that maybe we've been able to help stabilize some of these traditions. And yeah, new traditions will be, will be added. And we're always looking for people who are doing interesting things and, and maintaining traditions. So if people have something they, they think is a tradition that they need to preserve, they can certainly get in touch, in touch with us at Heritage NL. Dale Jarvis, congratulations and thanks so much. Thank you. And Dale Jarvis, of course, is the executive director of Heritage NL. Well, coming up, as the metro region gears up to host the 2025 Canada Summer Games, it's looking back to the last Summer Games hosted in this province in 1977, and organizers are looking for, for memories from that busy summer. This is News Talk on VOCM. Stay informed and have your say on the news of the day with your VOCM. Join Linda Swain weekday afternoons from 4 to 5 p.m. for an hour of talk and discussion with decision makers and listeners like you. News Talk on your VOCM. And we're back. Well, if you've driven around St. John's lately, you will likely have noticed that work is already underway to prepare a number of sports venues for the 2025 Canada Summer Games. There's a lot of stuff going on in the Elizabeth Avenue area and around the Aqua Arena, for example. It's not the first time the Capital City region has hosted the Games. Back in 1977, St. John's hosted the province's last Summer Games event. And as part of preparations for the 2025 Games, the Canada 
Canada Games host societies looking for your memories from that time more than 40 years ago. CEO of the 2025 Canada Games host society, Karen Sheriffs, joins me now. Hello, Karen. Hello, Linda. How are you? Great. So you're looking for stories from Newfoundlanders and Labradorians who participated in or remember or um, uh, were attending the Canada Summer Games when St. John's last hosted back in 1977. And I have some very um, vague childhood memories of that. What are you looking for? Uh, yes, well, you know, the 77 Games was the last time uh, the Games was hosted in uh, St. John's. Um, and not the last time it was hosted in our province. That would have been in 1999 in uh, Cornerbrook, a uh, Canada Winter Games. Um, so just with the Games coming in 2025 for the uh, summer of um, 2025, we, we're just excited to hear about people who, who did partake in the 1977 Games. It could be, you know, a childhood memory of being part of the opening ceremony. It could be, you know, a key volunteer who chaired a committee, uh, you know, somebody who just volunteered during games time or, you know, somebody who was a spectator um, and was able to, you know, watch these uh, great athletes, say, you know, get to the medal or achieve a personal best. So really just looking for some key share stories to kind of connect 77 with the 2025 Canada Games. You know, it's a memory, a very vague memory, but it's a memory that I've always had uh, going back to some of the television coverage of, of the time. And Dorothy Wyatt was the mayor. And I remember at the closing ceremonies that they broadcast on television, I remember her singing the old country standard, don't look so sad. I know it's over. And everybody looking at her, you know, because she was such an extraordinary character. Right, absolutely. And, you know, I think, uh, you know, the Canada Games sport is such a catalyst that brings the Canada Games to our communities. But uh, everything else that happens around the Games, you know, from our festival program, our opening closing ceremonies that you just alluded to, uh, you know, pin trading, everything like that, that really brings uh, brings people together and connects people. Um, so we just, you know, over the years, we've just heard so many amazing stories of people who have volunteered, you know, at multiple games and just their experiences with that. So, uh, you know, there's we just want to capture them and start sharing them. And because I think some are going to be so even relevant to this day and age as well. So just really excited to, you know, whether you're an athlete or a volunteer or a spectator or a coach, a fan, you know, in 77, we just want to recount some great stories and really cherish memories that have resonated with people for nearly 50 years. I don't recall it myself, but I know I've heard people saying that, you know, some of the, the rowing teams were carrying their skulls through the uh, city of St. John's, you know, on on their over their heads, on their shoulders, so, so to speak. Uh, those were little uh, vignettes that people remember. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, we've heard a lot of stories. And, in fact, we've, uh, you know, since we've set up as a host society, um, here we have been very much received like flags from the 77 uh, monuments uh, gifts people received because they were in you know care, key chair roles we got a crest of the chairman of protocol you know so we've been receiving a lot of uh, even uh, you know memorabilia and artifacts how I would put it really of the 77 games and we're really trying to capture you know what what was that what was that part of type of thing so so you're looking for, you know, uh, pictures and that sort of thing as well? 
Yes, pictures, stories, you know, if there's any anything, any memorabilia that people may have, you know, that, uh, you know, they haven't taken out in a long time that they'd even be willing to share that, uh, you know, we could take some pictures of or use for the next couple of years. Um, yeah, we're looking for that, looking for stories, people who were involved in, in the games in any any way, you know, at, the, at that time. Like I said, if you were an athlete or a volunteer, spectator, really love to hear from from you and uh you know we have some footage and some pictures of of the of the 77 games and uh you know some of the venues that we will use for 2025 are venues that were also used uh, for the 77 games and some of them purpose-built for that reason absolutely you look at the ac arena that was uh was produced just for the 77 canada games and uh you know is now getting a uh, a full upgrade uh to now host the 2025 canada games so what will you be doing with all of this, uh, these uh, recollections and memorabilia and photographs and video? What, what, what will you, what's the purpose here? What are you hoping to do with it? Well, we have a wonderful team who is pulling together stories, um, you know, uh, you know, stories, uh, you know, from people who have been involved in games, yeah, up and coming athletes who will be participating in 2025 games, athletes, coaches, uh, volunteers who've been in past, you know, involved in past games. So we're just trying to really gather a um, a great repertoire of stories that share and show connections that have been made uh, from games to games, um, memories that have been shared, just so the you know the public and our community, our province can really start to feel what the games is going to bring and what you know how they can also be part of it and you know make their own memories uh, for the 2025 Canada Games. And if somebody has something or wants to share something, uh, how can they do so? They could reach out to us uh, at communications at 2025canadagames.ca um, or visit us through our Facebook page at 2025canadagames uh, and reach out to us that way. Uh, we have a website as well. Um, people can sign up for our newsletter, uh, but they would be the key, uh, key ways to send any stories and, or get any, anything to us. And do you feel like the momentum is starting to build now? Oh, absolutely. We're really excited. Um, we have a great uh, team, you know, from volunteers from our board, Kim Keating, Carol Smith, the co-chairs of our the, the host society board, and just an amazing group of people have come together who have, you know, helped shape our organization. Um, and many, many committees of volunteers already in the planning phases for the game for us. And uh, we are a staff team of 25 uh, to date, and we'll be a team of 75 uh, by game time. So uh, absolutely, we have great momentum moving, you know, seeing great action with uh, upgrades and new infrastructure, um, lots of planning being done in so many different functional areas. We're, we're thrilled with uh, also the, you know, the public connecting with us and the interest that people are already showing to volunteer for the game. Karen, I really appreciate your time. Thank you so much. Oh, thank you so much for having me. It's always a pleasure to talk about uh, 2025. And Karen Sheriffs is the CEO of the Canada Games 2025 Host Society. Well, former Health Minister under Brian Tobin, Joan Marie Elward, was officially installed as the new Lieutenant Governor of Newfoundland and Labrador in a ceremony in the House of Assembly today. Here are some of the sounds from today's ceremony. 
Good morning. My name is Patricia Hearn, and I'm the Deputy Clerk of the Executive Council. I am pleased to welcome you here today, along with all of those who are watching the live broadcast, as we witness the installation of the 15th Lieutenant Governor of Newfoundland and Labrador. survivor of the residential school system. The Holy Lamp is a very important part of our Inuit culture, of our ancestors, used by ancestors years ago. It's made of soapstone. It's fueled by animal fat with seal, with seal oil and uh, whale oil and moss from the land. It is used for heat, source of heat and clothing and all the things that we do for everyday life as today. I hope the Creator will be always in your presence and I grant you peace in every day. Thank you. I, John Marie Aylward, do swear that I will be faithful, that I will be faithful, and bear true allegiance and bear true allegiance to his majesty the king charles the third to his majesty king charles the third king of canada king of canada his heirs and successors his heirs and successors so help me god so help me god oaths <coughs> of office please repeat after me i joan marie aylward I, Joan Marie Aylward, shall well and truly, shall well and truly, execute the office and trust, execute the office and trust of Lieutenant Governor of the Province of Newfoundland and Labrador. As Lieutenant Governor of the Province of Newfoundland and Labrador. The singing there uh, provided by members of the Holy Heart of Mary Choir. Some of the sounds of the installation of Joe Marie Elward as the new Lieutenant Governor of Newfoundland and Labrador. She succeeds uh, Judy Foote, of course. Well, that's it for us for today. It's uh, been another busy day, another busy day in front of us, uh, uh, Claudette, according to uh, some of the information that's coming down now about uh, events and such tomorrow so you can expect another busy show tomorrow um, and um, maybe I should uh, get a couple friends together and have a sleepover <laughs> you know sometimes you just got to do something that's really out of the ordinary to appreciate the little things oh absolutely right? and what a great little you know <laughs> pick me up or take me away from all of this kind of you need of one moment. of those you yeah. need to fly a little way away from the news for just like a few hours and 
hit a reset. You know what? Sometimes just a drive to Gander will do that. Right. You know what I mean? Yes, I do. So, uh, yeah, this, maybe there's a road trip in my future or a sleepover. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Claudette, thanks for everything this afternoon. Uh, we'll be back tomorrow, so do join us then. Uh, join our morning show tomorrow. They'll have all the latest on the uh, reaction to the uh, Lieutenant Governor and the Seniors Report, of course, which is getting a lot of um, inf- um, reaction, and no doubt that will dominate discussion on Open Line as well. Thanks for listening, everyone. Bye-bye for now.